Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon entitled, New Year, New You, focusing on the new year ahead. We hope you enjoy this podcast. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Well, I can say it one more time. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you all here today. So, uh, um, you know, today is uh, less than 48 hours uh, before, less than 24 hours before New Year's Eve. And, you know, this time of year, I think if you've been anywhere and read anything in the media or watched any media, everybody's talking about uh, New Year's resolutions. And, I, and I'm curious, anybody going to make a New Year's resolution? Anybody want to be brave enough to venture? There's one. There's a couple of brave people that sort of, sort of raise their hands. So, uh, um, you, you know, it's, I did a little research on it. Uh, the website uh, Statistics Brain uh, says this, 45% of Americans usually make New Year's resolutions. Um, 17% you, uh, occasionally do. 38% of Americans never make New Year's resolutions. Now, of those that make New Year's resolutions, 45% are successful in achieving that resolution. 17% sort of have some success and, and uh, uh, 38% failed. Um, now, look, I'm not trying to uh, be a, uh, a Debbie Downer and cast any dispersions. I think it's great if, if you want to uh, either get rid of an old habit or, or add a new habit. Um, but let me share with you something that uh, uh, the uh, literary giant Samuel Johnson uh, wrote in his diary. If you don't know who Samuel Johnson is, uh, he's a uh, uh, credited with writing uh, one of the uh, dictionaries in Britain that was used for decades. And in 1738, this is what he wrote in his diary. Oh Lord, enable me to redeem the time which I have spent in sloth. 19 years later, he wrote, Almighty God, enable me to shake off sloth and redeem the time misspent in idleness and sin by diligent application of the days yet remaining. And he wrote a variation of that prayer every year after that. And eventually in 1775, 38 years after that first resolution, he wrote this, when I look back upon resolution of improvement and amendments which have year after year been made and broken, why do I yet try and resolve again? I try because reformation is necessary and despair is criminal. Interesting view. You know, uh, Johnson's describing human life. We start, uh, many of us start the new year thinking this is the year. We resolve to, to turn over a new leaf. Uh, this time we're going to take it serious. And as I said, some of us are going to quit some bad habits and some of us are going to start some good ones. We're going to get in shape. We're going to eat better. We're going to waste less time. We're going to be more content, more disciplined and so forth. Some of us have resolved that we're going to be better spouses, uh, better kids, uh, better parents, whatever it is. Um, and then... We struggle with keeping that over the next 12 months. But here's the good news. Uh, the good news is that uh, Jesus' infallible devotion to us is always consistent regardless of us. And he desires for, his, for us to know his love each and every day. So let me say this. You know, today's sermon title is New Year, New Year. That's a little misleading because this is what I want to say to us. Instead of participating in uh, the New Year's 
resolution game, what if we just decided this? What if we decided that as followers of Jesus Christ, that we were going to love like he loves? If we're going to love God like he loves God the Father, and if we're going to love people like he loves him. Remember this. This is what he said to his disciples. He said this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Think that one through. The definition of being a follower of Jesus Christ is loving one another. What would that look like? What would that look like if we said, you know what, that's just, that's just going to be my mode of operation. I'm going to love others. Well, let, let me establish a framework about what we're going to look at from here on out, scripture-wise. Any scripture that I use this morning that has the word love in it, um, if you go back to the original Greek language, you'll see that it's the Greek word agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape. And if you know anything about the Greek language, you know that there's actually multiple words that can be translated as love. And that's important for us to know because unlike our limited English language where, you know, you can use love to say, I love the Red Sox and I love my wife, and hopefully those are two different kinds of love. In the Greek language, they had room for that. Uh, for instance, the, the Greek word eros, from which we get the English word erotic, describes romantic or uh, physical love. Uh, the, the Greek word philios, from which we get the name of the city in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, stands for uh, friendship love or brotherly love. But, but the word agape takes on a totally different understanding. The word agape is a love that describes God's love for humanity and, and really the ultimate kind of expression of love, of, of unconditional love that says, I love you for who you are, not because of what you do. It's an unconditional love. So as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to love without conditions. And so when Jesus said to those disciples, uh, Everyone will know that you're my disciples. He said, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love, if you agape one another. All right? So what should be the, the first object of our love or of our agape? God, right? So the first point that I want to make is this. Agape God. Love God. Love God unconditionally. So let me just go back to Jesus. Jesus was teaching the people one day, and one of the teachers of the law uh, began to ask him questions, and one asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And this is what Jesus said. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You know, these words that Jesus spoke were significant. And, and this morning, I, I want to use, uh, I, I want to explain their significance using some help from uh, thebibleproject.com. I'm, I'm recommending the Bible Project to you. It's a team of teachers and artists who have a very uh, engaging way of, of teaching the Bible. So they're going to teach on the verse that Jesus quoted. So turn your attention to the screen. 
For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7, Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, if you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema. So did you get that? Shema means listen and obey. It, 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 they can't be separated. So, so when Jesus quotes the Shema and says that we are to love God with all that we are, he's not talking about having a warm, fuzzy feeling about God. He's talking about listening and obeying. Listening and obeying to God and following the teachings that God gives us in Scripture. So if we're loving God, then we're becoming obedient disciples. So what does that look like? It looks like agape for God, uh, loving God so much that you put God first in your life. Now, for some of us, that sounds scary to put God first in our lives, because if you do that, you think you're going to lose something by making God first in your life, when actually the total opposite is going to happen. 
When you love God and trust God above everything else, yes, you may have to make some tough decisions to, about loving all others, uh, but you understand that ultimately God will help you put everything else in its place and you'll be blessed. So the best way to agape God and to put him first in your life is to let him speak to you. Let him speak to you from Scripture. Let him speak to you and, and listen. And listen means to listen and obey. So we, we speak to him and we follow him. But incorporated with that is if we're going to listen to him, then we're going to have a relationship with him. We're going to communicate with him. So we're going to talk to him about what we hear. So, you know, I've said this over and over. As, as followers of Jesus Christ, you know, being a follower of Jesus Christ isn't uh, um, about coming to church. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is about believing in Jesus and having a relationship with God where you love him. And out of that relationship, out of listening, hearing, and obeying, you realize that, that part of what we're called to do is gather together as the body of Christ to worship God, to build into one another, to serve one another, to serve the world, to share the good news about Jesus. And one of the ways that we can build in that relationship and one of the ways we can listen to God is spend time in God's Word. I mean, you can read Scripture, and I encourage you to do that. You know, you know the truth of the matter is in, in 2018 and headed into 2019, it, it's never been easier. You, you know, so my encouragement to you is this. You, you know, get your Bible and read it. If that feels a little overwhelming, this is what I would say. Then, you know, download uh, thebible.com. It's an app with Scripture. And in that, two things can happen. There are reading plans that you can participate in where you can be encouraged to read Scripture every day. And somebody said, well, you know, I'm not much of a reader. Ah, that's okay. With that same app, it will read the Scripture to you. So what if this, what if, what if every morning on your, your way to wherever you drive, what if you turned off talk radio or turned off your playlist and you listened to Scripture? And then what if after the Scripture was read, you, you talked to God about what you, what you read and then you talked to God about the concerns of your life and the people that you wanted to pray for and the things that you wanted to pray for? What if you spent time building in that relationship? Now, you know what I'm saying. It's universally applicable. It doesn't have to happen in your car. It doesn't have to, to do it as I just prescribed it. But it's important that if we're going to love God with all of our heart, that means we're going to shema him. We're going to listen and remember, listen and obey. And that means that we build a relationship with him. Really, what I'm talking about here is, is how to love God, how to agape God how to live in a relationship with God. So now, if you recognize the scripture that uh, Jesus quoted when that teacher of the law uh, came to him, uh, it, it's the greatest commandment, and it's part of that section of scripture that shows up in three of the gospels where Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is. You probably remember that there was another part of that story. Uh, Jesus not only said what the greatest commandment was, he said that the second greatest commandment is like it, and it is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now just as a, a, a reminder, the word for love that Jesus used in that scripture also 
is agape. He didn't say have brotherly love for your neighbor. He said love your neighbor without condition. And remember, Jesus said, everyone will know you're my followers if you agape one another. So let's look at what it means to agape people, to have unconditional love for people. So, um, you know, when Jesus was teaching, oftentimes he would have people uh, try to catch him in traps. Uh, today we would call them trolls. And so he had this guy that was trolling him. He was one of the teachers of the law. And Jesus was teaching on the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. And this guy said, well, who is my neighbor? And if you know the story, Jesus then went on to tell the story that we call the Good Samaritan. Um, at the end of the story... Jesus turns to that guy who's been trolling him, and so he asked him, all right, who is your neighbor? And that person replied, he's the person who showed mercy to the others. And Jesus said, you're right. And then he said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Again, reinforcing this idea that, that followers of Jesus have agape for all people. That we, the, the definition of being a good neighbor is having agape for them. And just to, to clarify that, uh, Jesus said that um, you love your neighbor. He meant all people. And, and again, um, let's, don't take my word for it. Let's go back to the words of Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is teaching, uh, he's teaching hundreds, thousands of people uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And by the way, Jesus goes on in that section. He says that if we love only those who love us, and if we're only kind to our friends, we're just doing what everybody else does. Isn't that right? I mean, don't, don't we? Obviously, we love people who love us, and we're kind to our friends because our friends are kind to us. He basically says, you know, you know even non-Christ followers do that. But he raises the bar. In other words, he's saying, listen, I'm calling you to a higher level of love and obedience. Now, look, I know some of you are going, you want me to love my enemies? You want me to love the people that disagree with me and I disagree with them? You want me to love the people who have hurt me? God wants you to love those people. That comes straight from him. So that means for us, as followers of Christ, we need to love all people. We need to love our friends, and we need to love our enemies. Uh, we need to love Christians and non-Christians. We need to love people of all faiths, even if they disagree with what we believe. And that means we need to love people of all political persuasions, Republicans, Democrats, Independents. That means we need to love people whatever their sexual identity is, whether they're gay or whether they're straight. That means we need to love uh, all men, all women, all young, all old, all generations, all races. You know, the body of Christ should be the one that stops all the isms. 
racism, sexism, ageism. I mean, because that's our calling. We're called to love one another. You see, God's love has no limits for Christ followers. It's clear that he's calling us to love people, and our love, like his, should know no limits. Some of you have heard me quote from Bob Goff. He's written some great books. I recommend them to anyone. But he says this about Jesus. He says, Jesus wants us to love everybody always. Love everybody always. That's our calling. Uh, recently, I heard uh, Pastor John Thompson, uh, pastor of Seaford Church in Ontario, Canada, and he talks about how he actually prays through a chapter of Scripture, only one, and he tries to do it every day. That chapter of Scripture is 1 Corinthians 13, and he tries to do it on a daily basis. And let me summarize what he said. He said, the reason why we all like Jesus so much isn't because of all the things he can do, but because of the way he loves. And he says, Jesus is 1 Corinthians 13 incarnated. That's the, by the way, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. It's the one that often is read at weddings. And and just so I can be clear, I'll remind you the Greek word every time the word love shows up in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape. All right. And so Thompson goes on, he goes, without love, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, how powerful you are, or the amount of influence you have. And then he goes on to say, as a leader, pray over 1 Corinthians 13 daily. And I would say this, as a follower of Jesus, pray over it daily. Because it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how anointed you are, Clinging to love is the only thing that's going to maintain your calling in Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. We could call it the agape chapter. Let me just give you some context before we actually read it. Knowing the context of 1 Corinthians 13 makes that chapter more powerful. You know, Paul, the apostle, he planted churches. He started new churches all over uh, the the known world at that time. And one of those, he started in the church of Corinth. And uh, he started that church. He stayed there and helped lead it and helped get it on its feet for several years. And then he moved on to plant more churches. And somewhere along the way, he heard that there were problems at the church in Corinth. And so he wrote them a letter. And that letter is what we call 1 Corinthians. He actually wrote a few letters. That's why we have 2 Corinthians. And in the letter to 1 Corinthians, he addresses the problems that were going on. There were five major issues in the church that were creating great division and and turmoil. And when you read through the letter, Paul defines the problems that the church is experiencing, and then he responds, and he responds with the gospel. He responds with the good news about Jesus, and and he basically calls those followers of Jesus to task, and he said, uh, this is how you're supposed to live if you believe in Jesus, and what you're doing is against God's word and the way you're living. The way that Paul addresses the solution to each of these sinners around, guess what? Love. Loving others like God loves them. In fact, loving them more than they love themselves. So 
Here is a church that is experiencing sin within its ranks. It's experiencing conflict within its body. It's experiencing division. And a big part of the reason why it's happening is because, check this out, followers of Jesus aren't loving followers of Jesus. It seems strange that Christians need to talk about Christians not loving other Christians, but unfortunately it's an all-too-common issue that we have to address. Honestly, I can't tell you the number of times somebody's shared with me how they've experienced uh, not love, but the opposite of love from fellow followers of Christ. And that's why John Thompson's practice of praying through 1 Corinthians 13 on a daily basis is such a powerful idea. And, and what I mean by praying through it is, is actually, you know, reading the scripture and meditating on it, thinking about how you can apply it and how you can love that way to others and actually saying, God, you know, as you read through it, God, help me love this way. Help me love specifically somebody that God brings to mind that way. So this morning, I just want us to read it through together. All right? So it's going to go on the screen behind you, and I'm going to start reading it out loud. And if you would, join me and read it out loud with me. Here we go. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others... I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others... I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But, when I will know, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I know that was a lot. But that helps us understand this idea of agape. And how as followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to love God. And we're supposed to love others. It, it's our definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and you know, this isn't... Uh, I, 
an anything goes kind of love because remember we're we're getting this from God and when he tells us to shema when he tells us to listen to his word he's saying listen and obey so it comes in the context of loving in a way that matches up with God's word and God's definition of love is not an anything goes kind of love but is a love that is built on a relationship with him So this is my encouragement to you. Spend time in God's word and and Shema. Listen and obey and talk to God about it. Pull out 1 Corinthians 13 and pray through it on a daily basis. What would happen? What would happen if Those of us who are married learn to love our spouses the way 1 Corinthians 13 says. What would happen if parents learned to love their kids like 1 Corinthians 13? What would happen if kids learned to love their parents like 1 Corinthians 13? What would happen in our communities if we learn to love our neighbors like 1 Corinthians 13, you know, what would happen if we learned to love our, all of our extended family like 1 Corinthians 13? What would happen if the leaders of our governments, local, state, and federal, learned to love one another like 1 Corinthians 13? It would change the world. It would change the world. And this is what Jesus asked his followers to do. It's not complicated. I'm not saying it's not hard. It's not complicated. But here's what we need to know. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were filled with the Spirit of God. And Scripture tells us that greater is he that is within us than he who is in the world. He's talking about the Spirit of God who is in us, rather the Spirit who is in the world, and that's Satan. So we have the power to love like that. We have a God who who has modeled it and calls us to do that. So as we sing this final song, I'm going to pray our way into it. And during that prayer time and during that song, I want you to think about how you love. And I want you to use that time in prayer and even that song to, you know, ask God to to help you love like he loves. So can we stand as I pray for us? And I'm just going to invite you just to to, uh, hold your hands open. It's it's basically a posture that says, God, I'm willing to receive from you what you have. And and what I want is, is not just your love, but I want the ability to love you and others like this. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have loved us from the beginning of time, before we were born. Lord, we thank you that you loved us as you knit us together in our mother's wombs. We thank you that you loved us on the day we were born and you loved us the the first day that we were like a sheep who went its own way. 
And you loved us just as we were, and you called us to you, and we experienced the love of Jesus, and it transformed our lives. But it wasn't supposed to stop just then. It was supposed to be an ongoing transformation. So, Lord, as we recognize that you've loved us without condition, that you've agaped us, Lord, we recognize that you've called us to be your follower. And the evidence of being a follower is that we love one another. So, Lord, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would help us love the one another's in our lives. Lord, some of them are easy to love. Some of them are difficult to love. But that's not an issue because you've empowered us with your Holy Spirit. And so, uh, Lord, we rest on your Spirit. Help us to be uh, people who love, who who. Shema, who listen and obey to what you say, and you've called us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So, Lord, I pray for every person in here that as we've heard your word today, that it will impact us and it will uh, not return void to you, but rather it will uh, return full of people who love like you do. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.